Lord is up to something in our days, church. The Lord is up to something in our days. In Jesus, we have hope unlike any other. And apart from him, there is only death. There is only fear. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to Waterfront Church this week. So grateful to get to be your pastor and get to, uh, again, go through our study with you. I've said this several times, uh, but I'm going to say it one more time. Um, remember, we work through passages from the top to the bottom. And so uh, the passage of Scripture that we're going to go through today uh, is one that we've had on the docket to go through for some time. Um, it fits so heavily uh, with a lot of the things that we are navigating. And I want to encourage you, see that as an affirmation from the Holy Spirit that you were supposed to hear this message today, uh, and that, uh, again, the Spirit may be trying to speak something specifically to your heart. So I don't care if it's your first time watching a church service, or uh, if it's the thousandth time you've attended a church service, or for some of you old-timers out there, for the millionth time that you've attended a church service, the Spirit has something that He wants to say to you today. If you got your Bibles, open to James chapter 5, James chapter, chapter 5, and then Genesis 45, and we'll continue in our study of the life of Joseph. Uh, it begins with this question. Have you ever had to tell someone that you were sorry before? Have you ever had to tell someone that you were sorry before? Now, just for the record, there's different levels uh, to telling someone that you're sorry. Uh, and the first is very much, uh, I realize in an instant that I've messed up and I have got to apologize immediately. So back in the day, uh, we were uh, with my parents at a uh, college reunion they were doing uh, in Abilene, Texas. And I'll never forget, uh, my dad's got his friends around. Uh, my parents at that point are probably in their late 30s and I'm, I'm in high school. And, and uh, my dad and I are playing catch with the football, and we're just throwing it back and forth, and uh, uh, as we're throwing the football back and forth, my dad's showing off for his friends. You know, he's got this high school-age son, and so we're throwing back and forth, and then my mom comes out with this massive camera, okay? So back in the day, for you kids, before times of the small cameras, okay, my dad comes out with a, or excuse me, my mom comes out with like this huge camera. It was a personal camera uh, for my grandparents, but it was, I mean, back in those days, the cameras were huge. And so my mom's just taking it in, looking at everybody and everything that's going on. And then my dad and I are playing catch, and I don't know what possessed him to do this, but he looks at my mom and goes, Kelly, catch. And he throws the football to my mom, who is holding this behemoth of a camera over her shoulder. And then all of a sudden, on our wonderful family video, you can see the football smack into the camera. And all of a sudden, you hear my mom go, oh, how could you do that? And my dad is sprinting to her, sprinting to her. And all you can hear as she turns off the camera is my dad going, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Again, beautiful family moment, right? All that to say, I mean, he he knew he'd done wrong in an instant, and he rectified the situation by apologizing immediately. Sometimes it's not so simple, is it? Sometimes we have to tell people we're sorry, and it's been days, weeks, months, years, generations of time that has passed, and it's tough to find those words, isn't it? And I don't know about you, but when I'm really sorry about something, but it's going to cause a really difficult conversation, I rationalize reasons it doesn't need to happen. And I think through and I process what they did to me to cause it, or what happened societally to cause it, or I think through all these different things to get out of that tough conversation. I want you to listen to me today. 
That whisper that the conversation doesn't matter is a lie straight from the pits of hell. There is power when we confess unto one another. And I want to prove it to you today. Look at James chapter 5, and let's read verse 16. This is at a time where the Christians had been deeply persecuted in the early church. And James is their pastor, and here's what he says. James chapter 5, verse 16. He's pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. He says, therefore, confess your sins, look at this, to each other and pray for each other. Why? Look at this. Here's the power. So that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I want you to stop there for just a minute. You know why the devil whispers in your ear that confession doesn't matter? You know why the devil whispers in your ear all those reasons to rationalize out having a conversation and saying you're sorry? Because he knows that that's where the power comes from. That when we confess unto one another, not just to Almighty God to find forgiveness, but when we confess unto one another, listen, we are healed. You could add to that. We are made whole. What was incomplete all of a sudden finds great completion. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Wounds cannot fully heal without Christ-centered repentance. Let me say that again. Wounds cannot fully heal without Christ-centered repentance. I'd like to ask you to think today, is there someone in your life that you have deeply wounded with the words you've said, with the actions of your hands, even with the thoughts and the plotting of your mind? Is there someone that you have wounded today, and is it time that you might help them and yourself find healing through Christ-centered repentance? Wounds cannot fully heal without Christ-centered repentance. We are watching it unfold as a society right now. Hundreds of years, open wounds, struggles that oftentimes don't even have words to express. What we find in this passage is when we open up and have those conversations, that healing is possible. It begs our big million-dollar question today. You ready for this? I told you it's going to be a heavy one today. I warned you, okay? I warned you. Our big million-dollar question, how do we walk the path of repentance? How do we walk the path of repentance? If we're supposed to go to one another, if we're supposed to confess to one another and pray for each other, we will find healing. How in the world are we supposed to walk that path? Well, Joseph is about to outline it through his brothers. Look for me, look with me, if you will, at Genesis chapter 45, and now let's start in verse 21, continuing our story of the life of Joseph. Now remember, the way the whole story starts out is Joseph is actually sold into slavery by his brothers. What we're actually looking at in this passage is so incredibly applicable to the time period in which we live. And here's what's happened. In this passage, Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers, Joseph then rises up through the ranks in the nation of Egypt to where he is now the second most powerful person in the entire country. And some might move the second most powerful person in the entire world right underneath Pharaoh. And the Lord has used his hardship and adversity to bring him to this point. 
And all of a sudden, there's a famine in the land. Joseph is leading the nation and really the world through this time of famine. And all of a sudden, the brothers show up. They had told the father that Joseph had been killed by wild animals, led him to believe that Joseph had been killed by wild animals. And all of a sudden, they show up asking him for help, and Joseph recognizes them, goes through the process of reconciliation with his brothers in dramatic fashion. You can go back and watch the last, like, 30 sermons, okay, and it's that story. All right, it's been a really long series. But all of a sudden, it comes to the point where Joseph and the brothers have this beautiful moment of reconciliation. Joseph sends out the officials, and it's just him and his brothers. He reveals them that he's the one that they sold into slavery, that he's the one that they were so awful awful to. And then he tells them, he forgives them. He brings them back into the fold of his life and says, move here with me. Come here. Come into my house. Let me take care of you. And there's this beautiful, amazing arrangement. But one thing, the father, Joseph's father, the father of his brothers, doesn't know the truth yet. And the brothers had lied to him for a generation. They had lied to their father for a long, long time. And they've got a point where they're going to have to figure out how to walk that path of repentance. They found it with Joseph. But now they have to walk the path with the father. Look with me, if you will, at Genesis 45, verse 21 through 24. Here's what it says. It says, so the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them, Joseph gave new clothing, but to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothing. Remember, Benjamin is the blood brother. He's the full blood brother of Joseph. The other brothers are half brothers, but uh, but Benjamin is Joseph's full blood brother. He's saying there basically through this action, I wasn't there for you, uh, but I want to be now. And then here's what it says. And this is what he sent to his father. He sent 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Now look at this. Then Joseph sent the brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. Now stop right there for just a minute. I've read this passage, I mean, a hundred times as a believer in Jesus Christ, one who's raised in the church. And one of the reasons that you go through Scripture slowly, like we have been in this study, is sometimes there are little things you miss. Don't quarrel on the way is something I missed over the years. Joseph says to his brothers, he's not saying, you guys quit bickering and fighting. Joseph looks at his brothers and says, and as you're deciding how to tell Father the truth, he says, don't point the finger of blame at one another. Now, this is incredibly powerful if you listen to this. Let the Spirit speak to your heart. Joseph tells the brothers, I know you have a hard road ahead of you. I know that you are dealing with the pain and the anguish of your past actions, of the words you've said, of the lies you've told. I know that your path is difficult. But he looks at the brothers and says, own it. 
Own your portion of this. Every one of you is complicit in what's been done. All of this is on the heels of Joseph saying, I forgive you for what you've done. It was for my good. Almighty God allowed these things to happen to me that I might take care of the world. He says that I might save the world and save you also. Joseph comes back here and says, no point in the finger of blame. I'm going to lead you the same way that God has led me. Own what you've done. If you're taking notes, how do we walk? Walk the path of repentance. Number one is the hardest part. Own your portion. Own your portion. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So there surely is something in our circumstances that we can think of that we have done wrong, that has fallen short of God's amazing and holy perfection. Joseph says, don't quarrel. Own your portion. If you're taking notes, write this down. There are some of you that would say, but are they going to own what they do? That's not what walking repentance is. You can't control them. If you're taking notes, write this down. In regard to reconciliation, all you can do is what you can do. We must trust God to handle the rest. Let me say that again. In regard to reconciliation, all you can do is what you can do. We must trust God to handle the rest. You deciding that I'm not going to share this and own my portion until they own theirs is the reason we're in the state that we're in. If we're waiting for the other side to own their portion first, then we are in the state that we are in forever, forever. Every great story of reconnection and reconciliation begins with someone coming to the realization that I've messed up. And then they believe James 5, 16, that if we confess it, we pray for one another, that this holy, amazing healing happens to our spirit. There's a movie we watch with our kids called Beauty and the Beast. The Beast has had this curse placed on him. He was a prince before. He's been turned into a beast because he was very selfish. And the only way for him to not be a beast anymore is if he can get someone to fall in love with him, really fall in love with him, even with that evil, wicked form. It's interesting because when you view it as a child, you just picture how can the beast get out of this mess? When you watch it as an adult, it's got some different ramifications to it. You see, the beast is not just a beast on the outside. He's a beast on the inside too. There's wickedness in his heart that needs to be dealt with. He takes a woman prisoner. Again, we kind of breeze past that as kids, don't we? He kidnaps and takes a woman prisoner to try to force her to fall in love with him. The best scene of that movie that is really lost on children is when he opens the gates and lets her go. The real simple teaching on that is if you love something, let it go, but that's not the point. The beast lets her go. He gives her freedom realizing that he had become something wicked and awful about his own agenda. He owns his portion. He lets her go and decides, I guess I'll just be a beast forever. I guess that this is who I've crafted myself into. And he owns his portion. The movie ends gloriously because the two are able to find reconciliation and a path forward together. Now listen to me. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. That is us owning what our lives produce on their own. The wages of our sin, the cost of our sin is that we deserve death. But, but, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, we own our portion so that we can give it to Jesus. Let me say that to you one more time. We own our portion so that we can give it to Jesus. The wages of our sin is death. You have to know that you are imperfect, that all of us are imperfect. And once we own that, then we are able to lay it at the foot of the cross. It begs the question, is there something that you need to own today? Is there something that you need to own? And I'm not talking collectively, I'm talking you. Is there something that you need to own? Something that you've done, something that you've said, some hate that you've believed, some wicked words that you've spoken, some movement of your hand or kick of your foot that you can't take back. It's time to own it. And then can I share some good news with you? Christ died for that thing. Let me say it again. Christ died for that thing. The most wicked, awful, dark, disgusting thing you can think of in your life. Jesus Christ died for that. Let's keep moving. Now look at what happens next. He tells them, don't quarrel along the way. Don't point fingers at one another. Now look at verse 25. It says, so they went up out of Egypt and they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's the ruler of all Egypt. Now look at this. But Jacob was stunned, and he didn't believe them. Stop right there for just a minute. Remember, they've been lying to him for decades. They've been lying to their father. For years, they led him to believe that the brother was dead, that he'd been killed by a wild animal, the trauma of his favorite son being killed and mauled by a wild animal. And they've led him to believe that when the truth was even more awful, that his brothers sold him into slavery out of jealousy. That his brothers had been so terrible to him. Don't miss the courage of the brothers in this moment. They'd been lying. And you know what? If it was like a typical family, not just back then, but today, they probably had a candle lit or a place setting set. Or I'll tell you what, we, what we've done with family members that we've lost. They're different ornaments on our Christmas tree. I mean, there are all these things that they did, most likely in honor of the death of Joseph. There may well be a family monument that was to the death of Joseph. I mean, every time the father walks past where they, found, where they say they found the bloody clothes, I mean, I'm telling you, I bet he dropped to a knee in prayer. I mean, here's the deal. This is big and systemic that's taking place in their family. And the brothers have the courage to tell the truth, to address the most difficult portion of their mess up. If you're taking notes, how do we walk the path of repentance? Number one, own your portion. And number two, seek forgiveness. Seek forgiveness. First and foremost from Jesus. And then seek forgiveness 
from the individuals that you have hurt. The brothers go the distance. They have this amazing moment with Joseph, but in order for the family to be whole, this difficult discussion has to take place. I've had to do this numerous times. Guys, pastors are just as imperfect, if not more, than anyone else on the planet, I promise you. One of the first times I had to really seek forgiveness where I was adult enough to realize what was happening happened with a man named John Talley. John Talley was the FCA director, Fellowship of Christian Athletes director for Oklahoma State University. Um, He's still in Stillwater, and John Talley is a dear, dear friend. I'll never forget, I had started living in sin I've told many of you my story before, my testimony before, but there was a stretch in time where I had truly lived for myself, was making poor decisions, and I'll never forget John Talley. John Talley, each week, was kind of a source of frustration for me because every time I saw him, I felt convicted. And so you know what I did to that spiritual leader, to that man of God? While I was in sin, I trashed him behind his back. I said bad things about him. I said bad things about his leadership. I stirred the rumor mill. And then here's the deal. I never felt good about it, but it made me feel better than addressing the sin that was in my own life. All of a sudden, the Lord brought me to repentance. I began to change, follow the Lord with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. In fact, The story that I'm telling you happened just after God gave me the vision for Waterfront Church. The vision for Waterfront Church happened in kind of this April-May time frame, and this was in June-July, just after. I'll never forget, they were doing FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes Camp, and I heard that John Talley was going to be there that week. And so I made my plan, I owned my portion, and I decided I was going to go and seek his forgiveness. It was like the prodigal son story. I can still remember it. I was driving, and it was in Kingston, Oklahoma, middle of nowhere on Lake Texoma. And I remember I made my plan to drive out there, and the whole time I was working on the words I was going to say to ask this man and beg for his forgiveness. And I made the decision. I wanted him to be able to see how sorry I was. And so I decided I would kneel in front of him. That was my honest plan. I thought, I've said such horrible things. I'm not the same person that I used to be, and I want him to know that that's not who I am. And so I drove to FCA camp at Kingston. They had just finished dinner, and the dinner area was clearing out, but a bunch of the FCA directors were sitting at the back. And he sees me, and I can see on his face he's shocked because, again, I've just driven out to the camp. I didn't tell anybody I was coming. I drive out to the camp, I walked to the back, and I knelt down in front of him. And then I spoke my piece. I mean, it was very close to what the prodigal son story is. I I feel no longer worthy to be a part of your group. Please allow me just to be one of your hired hands. I mean, it really was something very, very similar to that. And I'm just telling him, and I've got tears streaming down my face as I tell him I'm sorry, as I seek his forgiveness. And I remember he looked at me, and he goes, dude, get up, get up. And I stand up with the tears in my face. He said, I forgave you the moment I heard it. He said, you were just a young man. 
He said, if you're telling me you're back, I've got work for us to do together. And he did. We reconciled in that moment, and he was sending me out to preach for FCA all throughout my senior year. It was one of the most amazing experiences that I was ever able to have. It turned out that he had not been hurt. He was deeply understanding, and then the Lord was able to bring me forgiveness. He was able to bring me healing in my own spirit because I took the time to step forward and have the hard conversation. If you're taking notes, write this down. Someone truly seeking forgiveness only assigns blame to themselves. Let me say that again. Someone truly seeking forgiveness only assigns blame to themselves. This is not you saying, I'll own it if they own it. Repentance is about you and God. It's about you speaking your peace to that person when the time is right and owning your sin, owning what you've done wrong. By the way, there's a great uh, verse that, uh, that highlights this. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 Here's what Proverbs 28, 13 says. It says, he who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them, what? Finds mercy. Mercy comes to those who confess. It doesn't mean that they'll receive it immediately. Jacob did not from his sons. He was stunned. He was in disbelief. But eventually, he would receive it and offer mercy unto them. He who conceals his sin does not prosper. But through confession and renouncing them, we will find great mercy. I believe that that's true today. It begs the question, is there a hard conversation that you need to have? Is there a hard conversation that you need to have? Again, is there someone who has felt your wrath, who's been touched by your wicked words, who's been hurt by a glance, a look, something that you've done or said? Is there a hard conversation that you need to have with that person? I guarantee you, mercy abounds in those circumstances. Let's keep moving. Our last verses today, look at Genesis 45 and now verses 27 and 28. Here's how the passage closed. Remember, they go to the father. Joseph has said to them, own your portion. Don't point fingers. This isn't Judah's fault. This isn't Ephraim's fault. All of you bear the burden of fault in this. He says, don't quarrel on the way. Then they share the story with Jacob. They have the courage to seek his forgiveness. Jacob says, I don't believe you. There's no way you would do that to me. There's no way you could carry on in that lie for so long. There's no way you could further my hurt for so long. And then now look at verse 27. It says, but when they had told him everything, Joseph had said to them, when they told him everything, and Joseph had said to them, look at this, and when he saw the car, Underline when he saw the carts that Joseph had sent to carry him back. The spirit of the father Jacob was revived. And Israel said, that's another name for Jacob. Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive and I will go to him before I die. Stop there for just a minute. I'm telling you the power in this moment. Don't miss this. Jacob is sitting there and going, he's dead. You told me he was dead. The story I've had for all these years is that he was, he was mauled by a wild animal. Surely it's not something else than that. But then Jacob, sees the carts. He sees the blessing of Egypt that could not have come from anyone but God Almighty and someone who cared for their family. During a time of famine, they were given plenty. And all of a sudden, Jacob looks up and he goes, I can see it. 
I can see the fruits of repentance. I can see that you really have changed, that this is the truth in the circumstance. If you're taking notes, write this down. How do we walk the path of repentance? Number one, own your portion. Number two, seek forgiveness. And number three, establish a spiritual monument. Establish a spiritual monument. It's not just about words. And I'm going to be honest with you. When it's really, really big change that is taking place, it's not even just about action. There has to be something that people can look at over and over again and say, I'm telling you, it is different now. Something has changed. It's one of the reasons salvation takes place on the inside. But we tell you, have a moment when you have prayed to ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart. It's a, it's and again, an amazing spirit heart change that happens, but that date is your spiritual monument that you look back on and say, I was one way before and I was another way after. It's also another reason we get baptized. Jesus set the example for us in that. And baptism is a spiritual monument. There's a before and there's an after. And then every time you see the picture or think of the day, you remember how much change has actually happened. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? Some changes are so drastic that they require a monument so we don't later question their existence. Let me say that again. Some changes are so drastic that they require a monument so we don't later question their existence. In D.C., no better example of that to me than the Holocaust Museum. The horrific acts of the Holocaust... I've told you before, you go into that place and the facts and the pictures and the things that you see and experience are so brutal. But the shoe room, the shoe room in that space is the monument to the dead. The shoe room is the reminder when that smell of old leather hits your nostrils that people wearing those shoes were put into ovens were put into gas chambers, were mowed down with bullets, and the leather was seen as more valuable than their life. When we moved here to D.C., Texas is different. We got our own struggles and we got our own issues. But I had never seen a slave dock before until we came here and the darkness <clears throat> the heaviness when you see it it makes it so much more real and then all of a sudden you think back to different interactions where you experience that slave dock in a million different places throughout the country through interactions, through glances, through words. And all of a sudden, that monument is the reminder of just how much change is going to be required in order for us to move forward. I've got good news for you today. The Lord is at work in our midst. The Lord is at work in our days. And through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we can find forgiveness, repentance, and hope. For some of you, you're walking the path of repentance and you've owned it. You've sought forgiveness. 
But the one thing you lack is to provide visual reminders for those who have been hurt in your life that the change is real, that it's not just something you've said, it's not just something that you've Instagrammed, not just something that you've hugged at, but that you truly have some monuments in your life to say, you see this, we're not going back. You see this, this is not going to happen again on my watch. It begs the question, is it time to build a monument? Is it time to build a monument? Now, just for the record, I want you to hear me. An Instagram post is not a monument. Do you hear me? A Facebook post is not a monument. I'm talking about a moment where you have a tough conversation and you have something in your life that you are able to look back on and not say, see, I'm not a racist. It has to be something that you are able to look back on and say, see, there is a heart change that has taken place in me and I am doing my absolute gut level best to do everything I can to end the problem. Not only that, it goes the same way in marriage. There's some of you who have gone through some incredible difficulty in your marriages and in your interpersonal relationships, so much so where there is so much hurt, it seems like you could never find your way back to one another. Own your portion, seek forgiveness. And then you know what a lot of couples do? They'll renew their vows. The renewing of the vows is not just to go, yep, check it out, 25 years. Yep, check it out, 50 years. Yep, check it out. You know when you do a lot of renewing of the vows? When you've made it through some impossible time that seemed like all it could do is end in divorce, and you watch that couple renew their vows, that's when it gives someone like me chills up and down my arms and up and down my spine because I sit there and I go, they're going to make it. They're going to make it. They're doing everything possible to make this moment happen. They're looking and saying, Lord, we trust you more than the percentages in society. Lord, we trust you and we bow the knee to you more so than what the culture says is okay or accepted. Is it time to build a monument? Not an Instagram post, not a Facebook post. Real change and something that people in your life who you've hurt can look to and say, he's different, she's different. I can't believe how far we've come. I love you guys. I told you it was gonna be a hard one, all right? It's just how it goes, I told you. Spirit speaking today. Here's what's nuts. The Joseph story, I've wanted to quit it a hundred times because I've thought you've been bored with it. You know, I mean, any pastor that preaches a sermon series longer than about six weeks, we get concerned that you're bored with it. And I'm serious, we're on like week 15, 16, 17. I mean, it's been a long time with this thing. The Lord had this moment for such a time as this. He set it on the calendar for this moment and he has put this before you. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways and allow the Lord to bring healing to you and to the world around us. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me. We call this our time of reflection. Nothing mystical or magical about this time. It's just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? I need to own 
my sin. Now remember, we own it to place it at the foot of the cross. We own it to give it to Jesus. But you got to own it. To not think you're a sinner is to call God a liar. That's 1 John. To not own your sin is to call God a liar. And believing that lie keeps you from experiencing the healing that's possible through that repentance and confession. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? I got some tough stuff and I need to own it today. If that's you, just wherever you are, just lift your hand as a sign of making that decision. Thank you for doing that. I know that was difficult. Nobody likes owning the fact that we're imperfect. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you. But I want to encourage you. Pray this simple prayer. Say, God, it's my fault. God, it's my fault. And then say, Jesus, take this thing from me. Jesus, take this thing from me. Second, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, I own that I'm imperfect. I know there are things that the person who's hurt you may have done as well, but you are owning your portion today. And you'd say, it's time I seek forgiveness. It's time I take a knee in front of somebody, just like I did with John Talley. It's time that I have that tough conversation where I lay out specifically what it is that I've done and let the person know I'm ashamed of this. I've asked God for forgiveness, but there's no way I can go through this life without asking you for it as well. And then I want you to remember something. Jacob doesn't understand at first. Maybe because it's too good to be true that his dead son was alive. Maybe because he couldn't believe that his kids would actually lie to him like that. No matter what it is, all you can do is your portion. Seek forgiveness. If that's you and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. I need to have a tough conversation with somebody. Maybe it's even somebody in your own house, but you need to have a tough conversation with them. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand at this time as well. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so sorry. I know it's hard. I'm so sorry. I know it's difficult. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you, but I want to encourage you. Pray this. Father, give me strength. Father, give me strength and give me courage so that I can speak these words. And then maybe you pray this. God, give me the words to say to show real repentance. God, give me the words to say that the person might not feel persecuted even by my confession. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you, but I want to encourage you to pray as well. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, I've owned my portion. I've sought forgiveness. I've had that tough conversation but I want that person to know that that's not who I am anymore. I want that person to know or that group of people to know that that's not who I am anymore. If that's you and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. I need to build a monument. I need there to be some visual representation, something that we can go back to as a family, something that I can go back to as a person, some plaque, some monument that I can look back on, a baptism that you can look back on and say, I am not the same as I was before. A change has happened in me. If that's you and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. It's time to build a monument. It's time for some visual representation in my life. 
that that's not who I am anymore. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. If that was you, I'm going to pray for you. But your prayer is very simple. God, show me where to build it. (laughs) God, show me where to build it. And then do your gut level best to try. It doesn't have to be perfect. Visual representation. Who'd have thought that the greatest news Jacob could ever receive didn't come through the story of the sons. It came through the carts. He didn't believe it until he saw the blessing of God. I want to encourage you, build a monument. And then I said that was the last one, but there really is one more. Maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, I need to find repentance and be saved today. I need to, for the very first time, claim that I am a sinner and that I need to believe in Jesus. I am owning my sin and placing it at the foot of the cross for the very first time. I'm trusting the shed blood of Jesus to cover my sin. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If that's you today, and you'd say, Zach, I need to be saved. I'm believing in Jesus for the first time today. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. It's the most important decision that you'll ever make. Your eternity is affected. The future of your family is affected by the decision that you make today. If that's you, you need to reach out to somebody. If you are making that decision, all you've got to do is email tj at waterfrontchurchdc.com. Email tj at waterfrontchurchdc.com and finish out that decision. Push pause right now and finish out that decision. I love you guys so much. It's hard having these discussions with the camera, but I believe that God is documenting something for the ages. What's happening here, maybe this gets replayed in eternity at some point. I love you. Be the change. It starts with repentance. That's where healing begins. The devil's going to whisper it's not true, but it is. It has been since the beginning. Confess, pray, and find healing. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you for the chance that we've had to study your word. And Lord, thank you for this super, super slow-moving Joseph series. Thank you for the way that you're speaking And Lord, thank you that events from thousands of years ago are shaping our interpersonal relationships to this very day. Lord, I pray that we would follow Joseph's lead, that in this passage, that we would follow the lead of the brothers, the ones who had made mistakes, the ones who had done unthinkable, awful, systemic things. And Lord, you brought them to repentance. You made their family whole. Lord, I pray that what you did thousands of years ago, you would do again today in the name Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to own our sin, that we would claim without a shadow of a doubt that we are imperfect, that we have fallen short of your amazing holy glory. And Lord, I pray that as we claim our sin, we would take it straight to the foot of the cross. Jesus Christ died for that. He died for whatever wicked thing we can think of, whatever shame that we carry. He died for that thing. And then, God, I pray that as we claim our sin, 
you would draw us to our knees in confession, that you would call out to us, Lord, that you would draw us to go to that person so that healing could be, so that healing could be possible. And then, Lord, let us build a monument. Let us have visual representations in our life that that is no longer who we are. I love you, Lord. Thank you for this passage. Speak in power in these final moments. It's in Jesus Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.